0: Good morning, church. Thanks, you. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Out of thankfulness to God for giving us His word, at the end of the reading, I will conclude by saying, This is the word of the Lord. And then we invite you to respond together. Thanks be to God. This morning's reading comes from Titus chapter 2, verses 9 through chapter 3, verse 11. It says this For the grace of God has appeared but when the goodness and loving kindness of God's Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God
1: song that we sang kind of highlights something we often don't think of citizenship is a really big deal Uh, most of the people here I would imagine are citizens of the United States Um, if you're here and you're not it's a big deal and uh, you know that's a big deal in ways that we don't. It's always been a big deal. In fact, we could say that Rome was probably the foundation of modern ideas of citizenship, and Paul was a product of his day. The Roman world that Paul lived in was divided into two very distinct citizens, segments. Those who are citizens and those who were not. Citizenship made you uh, an insider And compared to non-citizens you were privileged you were entitled you were powerful chances are if you were a non-citizen in Rome well for the most part you were a slave now in exchange for those rights and privileges of being a citizen Romans were expected to live out the ideals of the Empire the expectation was so strong that even down to our day we have this lingering idiom that we use and you can maybe fill in the blanks when in Rome Do as the Romans do. Yeah, yeah, it continues to this day. Rome had such a strong citizen ethic that when a person who was not a Roman went to Rome, they behaviorally became a Roman. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. In fact, the Latin word civitas Oh, you didn't know you were going to get Latin today, did you? The Latin word civitas is kind of the root word for their entire ecosystem of ideas that defined Roman citizenship. It's the root for civilization, okay? Civilization, that community of people who dwell together under a common set of values and ancestry. These people in this civilization Uh, exercise their civic responsibilities another route to uphold the expectations of the community to contribute to its good they're expected to do so with civility that is the basic dignity that assumes the other person who is a citizen like me is worthy of my respect worthy of my ear worthy of my defense Paul as I mentioned was a Roman citizen Um, it's obvious when we Think about the passage that Cody read for us that he's actually leaning into this concept of citizenship, this civitas, when he writes to Titus. Titus was left in Crete to promote, if you will, a gospel civitas among the believers in Crete. His emphasis, however, was not on Roman citizenship, but rather on kingdom citizenship and the logic is kind of straightforward really since jesus has made believers citizens of his kingdom and paul's thinking those citizens needed to be educated and trained to understand how to live out the ideals of jesus kingdom it was their civic responsibility to do so. And Titus was placed in Crete to serve as kind of an overseer, kind of a coach, to help them both understand the expectations and uphold the good of the community amongst which they dwelled. And of course, they were to do so with a certain civility that aligned with the tenor and the tenets of the gospel. So, as he puts it in this passage, they're to behave like citizens of Jesus' kingdom so as to adorn the doctrine. Of God our Savior adorning the gospel simply means making the gospel look as attractive as it really is making the gospel look as attractive as it really is the same ideas and the essence of our mission statement that Ian mentioned the King's Church exists to see a greater worship of Jesus through declaring and displaying the gospel what Paul was telling Titus to promote I got it right yes what Paul was placing Titus in Crete to do, we are striving to do in our location here in Lakeland, to remind you, the believers, that there is a way we need to be conducting ourselves that I might call a gospel civility in every circumstance and every situation. So here's our main point. The citizens of Jesus' kingdom are to adorn the gospel by practicing gospel civility in all situations and I'm gonna suggest that in this passage Paul talks about what that looks like he talks about why it's important and he talks about how far it extends okay here's our main point the citizens of Jesus Kingdom are to adorn the gospel by practicing gospel civility in all situations and we want to talk about why or what that looks like, why it's important, and how far it extends into our life, okay? So we'll have to do this briefly because there's a lot more here that I can talk about than what we actually have time to talk about. But let's, let's get into it, okay? In this particular passage, first of all, what does gospel civility look like? In this particular passage, Paul lists a dozen specific behaviors that flow out of gospel civility. You saw it as Cody was reading. I mean, two times he talks to slaves and citizens, be submissive, be well-pleasing, be obedient, be ready for every good work etc 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 behavior after behavior after behavior after behavior now there's certainly grounds for digging into each of those behaviors unpacking them and trying to understand exactly what Paul's commanding I'm not gonna do that we don't have time I'd encourage you to do that work on your own okay but besides the specifics there's something behind what Paul is talking about that is really important for us to get our heads around there's What Paul is concerned about is not some kind of legalistic, rule-keeping kind of approach to the Christian life. He's actually talking about a pattern of behavior that includes some of these things that he lists here, probably includes more things, but a pattern of behavior that flows directly from the gospel and consequently adorns the gospel. You see, gospel civility speaks to our, our demeanor as well as it does to our behavior. It gets at the attitude or the spirit behind our actions that make our actions align with the gospel. Put another way, it's not enough to hold the right positions, but hold them with the wrong posture. It's not enough to hold the right positions and to hold them with the wrong posture. We are, what we adhere to doctrinally, loses its power, it loses its appeal, When we fail to practice Jesus' central command to love one another and to love our neighbor, in fact, one of our poets and Maya Angelou puts it this way: She says, "I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel." That's what we're getting at here. Okay? Paul captured a similar kind of idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he said, "If I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have not love." well I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal gospel civility is that thing that background thing that leaves people feeling a certain way after they forget what we said after they forget what we did it is the love that transforms our behavior from a noisy gong and sounding cymbal into something more like an attractive symphony so as such, I'm going to suggest from the text that we have here that Paul's definition of gospel civility includes or, or compels us to be humble, it compels us to be refreshing, and it compels us to be wise as we live out whatever the specific behaviors the gospel might call us to in our given situation. And let me just take a few minutes to unpack each of these and see if you can track with me, okay? So Paul says in this passage, that slaves and citizens are called to be submissive and obedient he tells them not to be argumentative and to avoid quarreling now when you think about that for just just half a minute it's really only the humble person who can do this right by as much as we imagine ourselves to be superior it's gonna be hard for us to submit it's gonna be virtually impossible for us to willingly yield our agenda to others. Instead, we're always gonna be focused on our rights, always gonna be focused on our agenda. We'll actually make excuses for our resistance to other people's agendas and ideas, and we'll justify our own severity and disobedience. By as much as we imagine ourselves to be right, We'll find ourselves immersed in endless arguments and quarrels. People drunk on their own opinion cannot help but share, promote, and defend them. You ever been around somebody like that? They start talking about whatever, and it's like, oh boy, here we go again. If you're drunk on your own opinion, that's the tenor of your life. That's kind of noisy gong sounding symbolish. And Paul is talking about something completely contrary to that. People who are drunk on their own opinion naturally become argumentative. They become opinionated. They become smug, noisy gong, sounding symbol. Humility is the only escape from that kind of living. And We have to conclude or have to assume that when Paul brought the gospel to Crete He came with kind of the same basic philosophy theology that he went to every place else So in Philippi another Roman city heavily influenced by Roman Civitas Paul writes this in chapter 2 about humility. He says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves Let each of you look not only at his own interests but also at the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he went even further, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And not just any death, even death on the cross. In Paul's way of thinking, the gospel calls all believers to that kind of humility. That self-forgetful, willing setting aside of my attainments, my achievements, my entitlements for the sake of others. And you'll notice in this passage, even when those others are slave masters, even when those others are nasty government officials like Nero, Paul's making no concessions here to that. It's only from this mindset of humility that we can honestly get to the business of practicing the specifics of submitting and obeying and refusing to be argumentative and quarreling And consequently adorn the gospel you tracking with me here are you seeing a little bit of what's behind what Paul is saying so that what he's saying takes on its full gospel weight and significance in our lives Paul's not just listing a bunch of behaviors that if we do them everything will be good with us he's saying something significant has come into the world and because it has It calls you who are citizens of that kingdom to step into a different reality than what you're currently in and become different. And part of that I'm suggesting, this gospel civility includes humility. It also includes this idea of being refreshing, being refreshing. Um, You see how he puts it there? He highlights it in in our passage. He says, slaves are to be well-pleasing, to show all good faith with their masters. Citizens are to be gentle, ready for every good work. The gospel itself claims that Jesus redeemed us to be a people zealous for good works. People who do these kinds of things, people who behave like Paul is listing here, they're refreshing to be around. I mean, when you're around somebody who's well-pleasing, somebody who's showing good faith, somebody who's gentle, somebody who's demonstrating a readiness for ever good work, you're saying, wow, that is so refreshing. You find yourself saying things like, oh, that is, that is just so sweet. What a nice gesture. Or you say, wow, that was, that was truly beautiful. A performance, that brought tears to your eyes, joy to, joy to your heart. You might say, wow, that, that was really well done as in some sort of achievement that leaves other people just awed by its smooth efficiency and its mastery. It causes you to say, man, that that was perfect. That was exactly the right thing to say. That was exactly the right thing to do in that particular situation. That's what I mean by refreshing. Paul is calling the Cretans to be refreshing. And this is really bizarre because earlier on in the chapter, here's what Paul observes one of the Cretan poets had said about the Cretans. If you look at Titus chapter 1, verse 10, here's what the Cretans were like. They were always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And Paul just adds his approval to this comment on the Cretan culture. He says, yeah, this is absolutely true. This is the way these people are. But Paul is saying, if you have been invited into the the kingdom of Jesus, it doesn't matter what you were. You are to become refreshing people. There's nothing about a liar. There's nothing about an evil beast. There's nothing about a lazy glutton that is refreshing. But well-pleasing, gentle, ready for every good work, showing all good faith, man, that's refreshing when you're around that. Peter gets to this same point in his letter he says in 1st Peter chapter 3 do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing And then he goes into citing one of the Psalms in the Old Testament for whoever desires to love life and see good days here's the here's the formula let him keep his tongue from evil his lips from speaking deceit let him turn away from evil And do good let him speak peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil then Peter concludes now if who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good makes perfect sense people don't go out and beat up refreshing people they just don't now that's not to guarantee that we won't be beat up for our faith remember Peter's writing that to people who are suffering under the heavy hand of Rome he's saying generally speaking refreshing people are people that society honors and regards we're called to be refreshing that's what gospel civility includes one more one more gospel civility approaches life's realities with wisdom with wisdom humility refreshing wisdom That's what we're suggesting are kind of the background themes in this passage for the gospel civility Paul is endorsing with Titus. A wise person through Scripture is one who understands and does, not just understands, but understands and does the best thing in any given situation. Ever been talking to somebody who's been screwing up, and you're giving them what they should be doing, and what do they say? I know, I know, I know. Doesn't matter what you know fools know it's the wise person however that does the wise person is somebody who consistently demonstrates an understanding of how life works and they apply it to any given situation that comes up if rule-keeping is involved then they keep the rules so for instance in this particular passage Titus says to slaves don't be pilfering you know pilfering isn't that a great word you come across something that you like in somebody else's house and you just kind of slip it in your pocket and walk away they'll never miss it or at least they won't know I have it stealing is against the rules a wise person just doesn't steal but if you're a slave in Rome they did it all the time particularly if you're a slave in Rome in Crete because remember you're a liar by virtue of being Cretan you're a lazy beast and you're a gut glutton so why wouldn't you take stuff But Paul says to these people, no, 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 no. That is not wisdom. He says to citizens, be slow to speak evil of anybody. That's smart. Slander doesn't help anyone, anywhere. When you talk trash about other people in whatever social tier, you're introducing all kinds of caustic toxicity into your world. A wise person gets that. A wise person just chooses to guard their mouth. A wise Christian citizen shows perfect courtesy to all people. That's what wisdom does. We do this because the grace of God in Jesus teaches us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in this present age. I don't know, Paul may actually have been thinking about Jesus' words to his disciples at Matthew chapter 10 as he was writing this. That's when Jesus had, was sending the 12 out to the different cities in Galilee and told, telling them to announce the kingdom. He said, Behold, in Matthew chapter 10, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That's the same, it's still the same for us, my friends. The whole world is under the influence of the evil one. It hates Jesus and is naturally inclined to hate us. We will always aim, however, to avoid conflict and never behave so as to merit abuse. But here's the deal. Wolves still tend to eat sheep. That's just what wolves do. And that doesn't change the metaphor or the mandate of Jesus. We go out as wise as serpents, as innocent as doves, sheep in the midst of wolves, hoping not to be eaten by the wolves, but understanding it could just happen. It could just happen, because that's what wolves do. Do you get what we're talking about here? We talk about gospel civility and the ethic that Paul is endorsing, not just in Crete, but in every other city where he went with the gospel. He is talking about a gospel-driven demeanor that inspires gospel-aligned behavior in the presence of a watching world. It aspires to the humility of Christ. It seeks to be refreshing as Jesus was refreshing in his day, and it adapts to the situational realities that it finds itself in with wisdom. And from there, practices whatever behaviors may be necessary to adorn the gospel. Track in with that? you see that in the passage that we're talking about it's not just a list of things to do which if you do them everything will work out in your life it's a list of things to do for a deeper reason which brings me to our second point. point first we, we said that um, we're gonna talk about what gospel civility looks like now we want to talk about why it matters why is Paul so urgent with Titus to promote this gospel civility. I mean, did you see how he said it in chapter two, verse 15, he says, declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. It's like Titus, if you do anything else, you've got one job, do this. That's it. What's the big deal? At the end of the passage, he says, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. Why is Paul so urgent? About this I'm gonna to suggest to you that the answer rests in one word in the passage it shows up at least two times at the beginning of two really significant sections and it's really important for us to highlight it it's that little word of four at the beginning of Titus chapter 2 verse 11 and then at the beginning of Titus chapter 3 verse 3 okay track with me track what Paul what Paul appears to be thinking from what he writes in both cases he's just outlined a set of behaviors that arise out of what we're calling gospel civility he said slaves blah 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 four, and then he goes into something else and then in chapter 3 he says citizens blah 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 for chapter 3 and he goes into something else okay what Paul is doing here is he is building his case for gospel civility on something that has happened in the past not something that's going to happen in the future This is really, really important to see. You see, Paul is not building some ethical theology for believers that promises to make the world a better place if God's people can just get their act together. It's not at all what he's doing. That's not what he's basing his definition of gospel civility on. He's building an ethical theology for believers that rests squarely on what Jesus has done not on what might happen if we do these things really, really well. The reason we're to display gospel civility in every situation is not so that we can bring the kingdom of God by building a better system than the rest of them, but so that we might adorn the gospel that announces that the kingdom of God has already arrived in Jesus. It's really important to get that distinction right from the perspective of what Titus is saying. You see how he does it in chapter 2 there? He says, Since the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, a salvation that transforms them from sinners to saints in this present age, in between Jesus' two comings. Since that's happened, for the grace of God has appeared. Since that's happened, it's obvious that all of us, slaves and citizens, must be focusing on renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions and focus on living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And since that grace brought salvation through the person of our great God and Savior Jesus, who gave himself to redeem us from all unlawlessness and purify us for himself, well, it follows that we should be giving ourselves for the sake of others, just like he did. You see how he's building his entire civitas ethic? On the gospel and what has already played out he does the same thing in Titus chapter 3 he says since we ourselves were once obnoxious caustic and toxic creating nothing but corruption and hatred everywhere we turned and since that did not prevent God from displaying his goodness and loving kindness and saving us based on nothing but his mercy alone since all of that is true about the gospel I'm preaching it stands That we ambassadors of Jesus who live now as pilgrim citizens among the kingdoms of this world should display gospel civility that mirrors the majestic unquenchable mercy of God we are to behave towards them as he behaved towards us when we behaved like them you got it we are to behave toward them as he behaved towards us when we behaved like them. That's Paul's gospel argument. That's why he is so urgent about this. This is why Titus needs to insist upon it, to declare it, to exhort it, to rebuke it, to command it, to let nobody disregard him. The people of Jesus are to display gospel civility because the gospel is the truest truth there is. Adorning the gospel with our lives is the best possible thing we can do. It's how we serve as salt and light in the world. Whether we live or die for doing it is simply irrelevant. Whether we live or die for doing it is simply irrelevant. Whether we make a difference for the better and the world remembers us, or whether we vanish into that vast number of saints who lived and died hoping in Jesus, such things are not ours to decide they simply are not ours to decide it is the gospel that must be adorned and not us that's why Paul is so urgent which brings us to our third point how far does this go I mean if you're tracking with me now you're thinking boy this is pretty heavy-duty yeah exactly right it actually gets heavier how far do we take this thing I think Paul answers that question in two directions in this passage first of all we can safely observe that there is no situation or circumstance into which the gospel civility mandate does not extend no situation or circumstance into which the gospel civility mandate does not extend how do I say that Well, we intentionally picked this passage because it starts with slaves. Doesn't that offend you? That Paul would be telling a slave to submit to his master. That seems so un American. It seems so socially unjust. It actually seems like it's a little bit racist from our lens of things. But that's not at all what Paul is saying. On the other side, if he talks about citizens. He, he's spanning the entire social, civil, civilized spectrum by speaking to slaves in one section, by see, speaking to citizens in the other section. Christians in either or both circumstances are not exempt from the mandate of gospel civility. It doesn't matter where you stand on the social spectrum, whether you're a citizen or whether you're a non citizen, whether you're a Roman, whether you're a slave, it doesn't matter. There's no situation that exempts us from the gospel civility mandate. By the same token, there is no durational limits either. Gospel civility has no expiration date. There is no point in the distress of our situation in which we're allowed to set aside gospel civility in favor of some better strategy, no point in which we are allowed to say, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. There's no excuse for breaking faith with our Lord and Savior, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. If Jesus' own gospel civility endured to the point of death, for our salvation, does it not stand to reason that our gospel civility must endure under the pressures and persecutions of a watching world? And can we not see that it's actually our endurance under fire that actually plays a part of God's business of bringing people into his kingdom? And brothers and sisters, man, this past couple of weeks we've been reading about Esther in our CBR reading, every single one of us in here is called into the same position that Esther was called into. We have the opportunity of announcing to everybody who cares to see that we are citizens of the greatest kingdom that ever has been, ever shall be, that will endure until there is no more opportunity for endurance. Jesus Christ will reign forever. And if you've been brought into that kingdom, man, 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 if you perish, you perish this week we'll start reading Revelation chapter 12 and it's gonna talk about the story of this great dragon who was cast down to the earth and granted authority to harass and devour the people of God and there's this little statement in verse 6 of chapter 12 that talks about how the people overcame this awful and ferocious foe it says simply this they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony of Jesus for they loved not their lives even unto death. For Paul and for us, there's simply no situation, no distress, at which point we are free to abandon gospel civility for some other strategy. None. Here's the glorious irony of the gospel. We find our lives when we lose them. We find our lives when we lose them we win when we die we win when we die if you've been tracking with this whole series and the first the first message Ian reminded us that Christ has commissioned us as his ambassadors bearing witness to the kingdom of God in a hyper politicized world in a world where politics has become a religion, he continued, or at least demands a religious type elite commitment, Christians need, to remi- need a reminder that our true home and that our highest allegiance and citizenship is to King Jesus in heaven. So as it is for all citizens of any nation on earth, there's a demeanor, a code of ethics that distinguishes them as citizens of that nation, for us, for us, who are citizens of Jesus' kingdom. That translates into a gospel civility that we've been considering from this passage today. That means as we live through the confusing days of COVID, as we go into what is doubtless going to be a white-hot election cycle in our particular form of government, As we stand up for the things Ian's been talking about the past four weeks, be it racial reconciliation, sanctity of life, social justice, sexual integrity, we do so in a way that adorns the gospel with what Paul is talking about here and I'm labeling gospel civility. Remember what we said. We exist to see a greater worship of Jesus through declaring. And displaying the gospel it's not just behavior its demeanor and there are no exemptions my brothers and sisters I call you I urge you I exhort you I declare to you I insist upon it you cannot disregard me behave this way adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ let's pray our Father in heaven this gospel is better than we could ever have imagined. We have been, each and all of us, caustic and toxic in our worlds and in our ways. We are just like the cretans liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, and probably worse if the truth were told about us. But you in your great loving kindness and your mercy, you saved us. Your grace has appeared to all of us and it teaches us, it tells us, it instructs us on how we, citizens of your kingdom, are to behave. Oh Father, I recognize my weakness in doing this. Try as I might, I fumble and fail, but God please, through words like I'm sharing with these brothers and sisters, would you continue to inspire us to live up to the citizenship to which you've called us, in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.